0: to teach you the depth of His Word. Enjoy the study. Welcome to New City Church. Welcome to everybody online watching this morning. Appreciate you tuning in to join us as we continue through the book of Revelation. Hopefully you can hear me okay. Uh, Ryan, I will try to stay on the X, Ryan, for you. Thank You you. Stay within the camera zone here. So we are... Starting Revelation chapter 6 today, we went last time through the 70th week of Daniel, and what was that all about, and the start of that 70th week, that final seven-year period for all of history. So we're going to open up in chapter 6 and really dive into the first seal this morning, verses 1 and 2. And so we're now entering into the final seven-year period of all human history. This is the culmination of all things is how I kind of like to think about it. And over the next 14 chapters from 6 to 19 in Revelation, it's all future and it's the greatest detail in the Bible of that final seven year period that we call the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation as Jesus defines it in Matthew 24. So, ultimately, it concludes with our king rightfully returning to take what is his, what he paid for, all along. And we will be with him, and he's going to set up the thousand-year millennial reign as it's established. And, honestly, it's the conclusion of the greatest love story ever written. This is the greatest love story ever written in the history of mankind, is this. It's all about redemption. It's all about what does it mean for us to have fellowship and to dwell with the living king, the living God. Jesus, the one that breathed us into existence, what does he have to do to establish a world such that he can return, we can be with him, and he can set up the kingdom? And so, you know, it's interesting. The Bible is bookended with the Creator putting everything back together. You know, from Genesis 1-2, in the six days of what I like to call recreation, putting the world back together, all the way to the end, and putting it back together so that He can reign on earth with us. You know, so the culmination of all things, everything that starts in Genesis ends in Revelation. And so the Bible is like this bookend. Through the story of the creator. You know, earth is created. Earth passes away in Revelation 21. There's a new heaven and a new earth after the millennium. The sun governs the day in Genesis. There's no need of the sun in the new Jerusalem. Darkness is called night. There's no more night. Waters he called the seas. There's no more sea in Revelation 21. And that's likely an idiom for The Gentiles, there's no more Gentiles. There are only those that believe and trust in the Lord. There's river for earth's blessing in chapter two in Genesis. There's the river for the new earth in chapter 22. Earth's government is through Israel and Earth's judgment through Israel during that seven year tribulation. Man is in God's image through the Holy Trinity. Earth and man is headed by Satan's image an unholy Trinity in Revelation. The entrance of sin, the end of sin. The curse is announced, and there's no more curse. Death enters in chapter 3 in Genesis. Well, there's no more death in the New Jerusalem after the millennium reign, the millennial reign. Man is driven out of Eden, and our access to Eden is restored in Revelation 22. There's the tree of life guarded in Genesis 3, and access to the life is restored in Revelation 22. Sorrow and suffering enter the earth. There's no more sorrow. Babylon is founded by Nimrod in Genesis 10, Well, Babylon falls in Revelation 17 and 18 during this seven-year period. God's flood destroys all of the evil people that Satan tried to corrupt the human line. Well, Satan's flood tries to desto- destroy God's elect people, Israel, as they flee into the rock city Petra. A bow marking God's promise and a bow for remembrance, remember in chapter 4 in the throne room, a bow is around the throne, and then a bow in Revelation 10, and a, and a bow is also the mark of God's covenant for us. Well, there's a false bow What we're going to look at today as Satan's false covenant with Israel. Sodom and Egypt in, in Genesis 13 and 19, and Sodom and Egypt as Jerusalem in Revelation 11. There's a confederation versus Abraham's people in Genesis 14 and a confederation versus his seed in Revelation 12. There's a bride for Abraham's son and a bride for Abraham's seed. That's us, the church. We're the bride for Christ. There's the marriage of the first Adam and the marriage of the last Adam. That's a title of Jesus from the New Testament, the last Adam. So from Revelation 19. Man's dominion ceases and Satan's begins in Genesis 3. Satan's dominion ends and man's is restored in Revelation 20. Enoch is taken from the earth before the judgment as a type of the church, and the church is taken from earth before the judgment as a type or as the rapture of the church. There's perishing once the flood begins, and there's perishing once the mark is taken. So this is not an all-inclusive list, but you can kind of see the structure of the Bible is very deliberate. So God has authored this such that everything that begins in Genesis Culminates and finishes in Revelation. So what we're diving into from chapter 6 on are these three sets of seven judgments. So there's seven seals, there's seven trumpets, and there's seven bowls or vials in your King James. And chapter 6 starts the seals. Now what happens is each of the seven unlocks the next seven. It's what in Jewish culture they would call a heptatic structure. And so it's these groups of sevens. And in between the sixth and the seventh in the Bible, in the, in the structure of how the book is written, there's a break. There's a pause for God describes something else that's going on. And so in the six seals, we'll go through six of them. And then chapter seven is a break. And then the, eighth, the seventh seal starts in chapter eight, which unlocks the seven trumpets. And it kind of cascades down that way. The break between the sixth and the seventh trumpet is actually four chapters, chapters 10 through 14. And then the break between the sixth and the seventh bowl is just one verse. And it's the words of Jesus himself in chapter 16, verse 15. So there's a structure, an outline to what God is doing in terms of getting the earth ready for him to return. It's very deliberate. Okay, so opening up, chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. So this is the coming forth of what a lot of us call the Antichrist, which we're gonna talk about. It's a little bit of a misapplied name. But the counterfeit messiah, think of him as the final world dictator that really everyone in the Jewish culture is looking for right now that are not Messianic Jews, do not believe in Jesus. But he goes by a lot of names. The final world dictator, the son of perdition, the man of sin, the lawless one, the beast. And if you study or or pay attention at all to news over in Jerusalem and Israel, a lot of the Jewish rabbis actually believe they are talking to this, whoever this figure is. Right now, they believe that. They're starting to announce that, if that tells you anything. And we don't know if it's really him, but it's just interesting. They think they've met him. Okay, so the final phrase of verse 1 here, come and see. Again, this is, remember, John sees all of this. He's taken. He's He is there physically at this time. And the word is... Urgami and it means to come from one place to another and so literally John remember he's taken to heaven in chapter 4 verse 1 we've got the two chapters of the throne room of the universe and then he's taken back to the earth here in chapter 6 verse 1 come and see so he's taken from heaven back down to earth to see this white horse and he's there physically he's transported back from heaven to see the start of the 70th week of Daniel And the word see here is Lepo which means To see or discern of the bodily eye So it's He physically has seen it With his eye Okay he saw In verse 2 and I saw And behold a white horse And now so remember as a reminder Everything the enemy does Is a complete counterfeit The true rider on the white horse Will show up in Revelation 19, when we're with Him, okay. That's why you know this is the counterfeit Messiah. This is the the false Christ, as Jesus would describe in Matthew 24. False Christ will come in My name, and it's isn't it interesting that all through 2020, the world was looking for a unifying Savior, you know, one world peace and safety. You heard this all the time in 2020 after the shutdown happened. All these world leaders coming out, but we just need a one-world government for peace and safety and security. And we are watching stage setting. And as long as the Lord tarries and we are still here, we have to be about his business, but he is allowing us to see the world get the stage set for this individual to come forward, to prime the world to accept someone that would unify them and usher in what they believe to be peace and safety. But we're gonna see, It's a false peace. So the final world dictator has a bow with him. And he that sat on him had a bow. And the word here in the Greek is toxon, which it does mean a bow, but I believe the Holy Spirit's probably dealing in a pun here. Okay, when you go back and we study the Bible, there's a thing that a lot of theologians and commentators will call the law of first mention. And what it is basically is, Wherever something shows up the first time in the Bible, they see it as very important, meaning that's where God is establishing from that point on what that means. Okay, so when you go to Genesis 9 verse 13, this is after the flood. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And so here you have the Lord setting a bow as a token of a covenant. Okay, Remember, it was his promise that there would be peace and security that only he can provide, that he would never again destroy the world with a flood. Now, the false Christ is coming forward with a bow, and we know that what triggers the start of the 70th week is his confirming a covenant with Israel. So I feel like the Holy Spirit's probably dealing in a pun here that this is a false covenant that he really has. He doesn't have—this is not— some kind of bow, like weaponry or artillery. We know from Daniel 8 that by peace he destroys many, meaning he will actually rise to power through peacemaking. Then he will conquer the world militarily, but he rises to power first through peace. Another example, the first time this whole thing of the law first mentioned, where is the first place in the Bible the word love is used? Well, it has to be... With Abraham, it happens to be where Abraham offers his son Isaac in Genesis 22, verse 2. and He said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So the first time in the whole Bible the word love is used has to do with a father offering his son, which is so deliberate because in John 3:16, right? It's the most famous verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world. And so the structure and the authorship of the scripture is completely deliberate on how God puts this together. And really, when you study Genesis 22, the whole event is a type of the Father and Jesus, because where Abraham happens to offer Isaac is on Mount Moriah, what we would call Golgotha. It's at the very top of the peak of this mountain. It's where Jesus was crucified. And the whole event is a model, a foreshadowing of another father offering his son down the road for everybody. So what covenant, this bow that the Antichrist, as we call him, is coming forward with, what kind of covenant? Well, it's in Daniel nine twenty-seven, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So the opening he, it refers to the same previous verse when you read Daniel 9. It's the prince that shall come, which is one of the titles of this final world leader. And the word here in the Hebrew, confirm, is Gabar, and it means to make stronger. So it implies that whatever covenant. He is confirming Stronger for the nation of Israel The many is a term for Israel And in the midst of the week The word here is Hesse It literally means the half or middle So this final seven year period The tribulation as we, we call it You just can't get away from that label The final seven year period This tribulation in the midst of it Three and a half years in he will cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, meaning he steps in and causes them to shut it down. And that's in, we know there has to be a temple standing from this verse and several others, but in Second Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin, that's one of the titles of the Antichrist, the man of sin, be revealed the son of perdition, there's another title, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. That means every religion on earth. Every religion on earth, he will exalt himself above and call himself God and unify the world under one religion. And we're gonna see that as Revelation unpacks and unfolds here. But so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God Showing himself that he is God. And so the temple, meaning it's got to be standing again. And we, you can look up the Temple Institute. We talked about this last week a little bit. But if you're curious about this at all, go do some research on the Temple Institute in, in Jerusalem. They think they can have the temple up in three months. They just need to go ahead from, from someone to confirm a covenant with So Revelation 6-2, continuing, the word crown, okay, so he that sat on him had a bow and a crown. The word crown here in the Greek, there's actually two words for crown, Stephanos and a diadem, and the word here is Stephanos, and what it means is a victor's crown, not a ruling crown, and so there's a difference. The victor's crown's a mark of royal or exalted rank, and so in the Back in the ancient Greco-Roman-type era, when they participated in the Olympics in the public games, it was the name of the wreath or garland which was given as a prize to victors in public games. So they would participate in these games, they'd race, and they would get a prize for participating. That was the Stephanos, okay? Now, it contrasts with the crowns that Jesus is wearing in Revelation 19, because when Jesus shows up in Revelation 19, he's wearing the diadem, the ruling crown, the rightful king. Okay, so there's, even in the subtlety of the Greek, there's a difference between these crowns and a crown was given unto him. Notice that it's given unto him. See, when you, when you study the Bible, all authority the enemy has is given by the Lord. And you see that most explicitly in Job chapter one, when Satan and the fallen angels come to God and He God gives them authority over Job temporarily to go through all of these things but pay attention to that because God is setting the battle lines remember at first he says you can do anything you want to Job but you can't touch him and they have to live within that boundary then they come back and they say well of course he's still crazy to you he's got his health and he says okay well you can touch his health but you can't kill him and again, he sets the battle lines, and they have to live within those battle lines. And so it's it's something that you need to be sensitive to that you get that question a lot. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there's a lot of reasons, and we can talk about that sometime. But a big part of it is God shaping his family and his children. He's raising a family. And so if you, like any good parent would do, if your child is out of line in some way, you're going to correct them, right? You're going to chasten them, and that's... Exactly what he's doing He's trying to refine you To be more and more like him Okay He went forth at the end of this verse And he went forth conquering and to conquer Okay, but not for long And this is alluded to in Amos chapter 2 verse 15 Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow Now this is deliberate God is using these puns and these idioms The same throughout the Bible Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow, and he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself. Neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. It's just an allusion to the Antichrist in chapter 6, verse 2 here. That he that handles the bow and rides a horse will not deliver himself. Meaning, we're going to see he's going to be destroyed without hand when Jesus shows up in Revelation 19. Okay, Daniel 8.25, this is that verse we talked about a second ago. And through his policy, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. Okay, craft, read that as witchcraft, occultic behavior, occultic activities. Uh, You know from Daniel 8.23 that he utters dark sentences, Daniel says. So this guy... Is going to show up, and we know from the New Testament that Satan comes with all lying signs and wonders. The world is not ready to see lying signs and wonders, and it's one of those things that it would deceive the very elect if it were possible. Jesus said, "If" is the key word because it's not possible since we'll really be gone in the rapture, and and there's going to be a lot of people that accept Jesus during this time. But okay, he's he shall cause craft to prosper, and he shall magnify himself. In his heart, and by peace Shall destroy many, so by peace That's how he rises to power He's a peacemaker He shall also stand up against the prince of princes That's Jesus, but he shall be Broken without hand, so When Jesus returns in Revelation 19 And we're going to see this as we continue Through chapter 6, the kings of the earth Are going to ask, who can stand Before the lamb? Okay, we're going to see that, not this guy This guy cannot And Jesus even warns us about this peacemaking policy in Matthew 10. He says, think not that I came, I am come, to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. See, Jesus came to make a division of, are you for him or against him? Okay, you're either for the Lord or you're not. And at some point he's trying to set up his kingdom and he's trying to gather everyone that is for him and he's, he is daily and hourly, almost by the minute, chasing after those that won't accept him. And he's trying to get them into the family with every fervency that he can. So the final world leader, he's got a lot of titles in the Bible. Antichrist happens to be the one that has stuck, and it's somewhat misapplied. It's not really one of his titles in the Bible, but... You can't get away from it because everybody knows it, and so just kind of go with it here. But if somebody asks it, not it's not really one of his titles. In 1 John 22, we'll look at that in a second, there's a reference to it, but it has to do with the spirit of Antichrist. So there are 32 titles of him, at least in the Old Testament, and 12 in the New. And when you pick up on this, you're going to realize there's a lot written about this guy in the Bible, a whole lot. And the reason is because it's the final seven-year period that the Lord is giving everyone one last chance. Please, please, please get to accept me so you can be a part of my kingdom. And he's basically screaming to the world, watch out for this guy. Don't follow him because we're going to see in Revelation 13, if you take his mark, you are barred from forever accepting the Lord. You've made your final decision. Okay, Revelation 13. So in the Old Testament, these these allusions to him, he's the adversary. in Psalm 74, Isaiah 59, Lamentations 4, Amos 3. The Assyrian, we talked about this um, last time. The Assyrian, Isaiah 10 and Micah 5. Uh, Belial and Nahum 1. You have to look at the Hebrew to see that word. But bloody and deceitful man in Psalms 5, the branch of the terrible ones. In Isaiah 25, he's the crooked serpent. In Job and Isaiah He's the cruel one in Jeremiah The destroyer of the Gentiles in Jeremiah The enemy in Psalms, Jeremiah He's the evil man In Psalms 140 The head over many countries in Psalms 110 He's the head Of the northern army This is Be sensitive to this too when you're reading your Bible And God will talk a lot About from the north okay, When you read Isaiah 14 Ezekiel 28 Satan wanted to set his throne on the sides of the north And the mount of the congregation Don't read that as magnetic north He's not talking about the north pole He's talking about The north as in dimensionally north Into where God's throne is The throne room Chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation So he's the head of the northern army According to Joel He's the idle shepherd in Zechariah We're going to look at that one Because that one is the only place in the Bible That gives a physical description of this guy He's the king of princes, the king of Babylon and Isaiah. He's the little horn of Daniel. So when you pay attention to Daniel and you go through the the statue of Daniel from chapter 2 and you get down to the final world kingdom, it's the legs that are iron mixed with clay and they have ten toes. That represents the ten kings that we're going to see in Revelation that he rises up out of and puts three of them down. That's the little horn in Daniel 7 and 8. He's the man of the earth, the merchant with balances of deceit in Hosea 12. He's the mighty man in Psalms 52. He's the nail in Isaiah 22, the prince that shall come in Daniel 9, the prince of Tyre in Ezekiel 28. He's the profane, wicked prince of Israel in Ezekiel 21, the proud man in Habakkuk, the rod of God's anger in Isaiah, the seed of the serpent in Genesis 3. This is the plot plant for the entire Bible, is Genesis 3.15. You want to make sure you really understand when you're studying your Bible to understand Genesis 3.15 because God, again, God sets the battle lines and declares war on Satan in Genesis 3.15. I will put an enmity between the seed of the woman, which is a title of Jesus, and the seed of the serpent, which is the title of this guy. And then he goes on and changes it to a personal pronoun and says, he shall bruise his heel, but the seed of the woman will crush his head. Meaning, he's going to destroy the Antichrist. Okay, the seed of the serpent. The son of the morning, Isaiah 14. He's the spoiler, the destroyer, Isaiah 16. The vile person in Daniel 11. He's the violent man in Psalms 140. The wicked one, you see that all through the Old Testament. He's the willful king of Daniel 11. In the New Testament, this is that that title. This is where we get the title Antichrist, 1 John 2.22. It really means pseudo-Christ, and what it means in the Greek is in place of Christ. Surely he is against Christ, anti-Christ, but he's really trying to exalt himself that he is in place of Christ, meaning he's going to exalt himself like we just read in 2 Thessalonians. Exalt himself above all that is called God in place of Christ. He's the beast all through Revelation. The false prophet in Revelation 13, remember there's actually two characters. So there's this antichrist or final world dictator, and then there's the false prophet who will convince the world to worship this guy. He's the lawless one in 2 Thessalonians, the man of sin, one come in his own name. When you read that in John 5, Jesus says, another will come in my name, and he you will accept. See, when he showed up on time, as we looked at on Resurrection Sunday in Daniel 9, he rode in on the donkey. He was rejected by Israel. He he was totally rejected. He declared corporate blindness on them. He tells them, another will come in my name, and he you will accept. And that word another means, in the Greek, it's another of the same kind. It gives a hint that this guy could be either the Antichrist or the false prophet. One of them could be Jewish. Is the hint that Jesus is giving so he's the prince of darkness in 1st Thessalonians 5 the son of perdition we just read that verse he's the star in Revelation 8 the unclean spirit in Matthew 12 and the vine of the earth in Revelation 14 so there there's a lot written about this guy throughout the Bible well I challenge you as you're reading the Word of God realize that there is more written about this final seven year period that is detailed from chapter 6 verse 1 to 19 than any other time period in human history there's so much written about it okay the bible also describes his characteristics he's a uniting religious pundit because we're going to see him usher in a one world religion he's going to get he's going to be so deceiving that he will convince the entire world to worship him okay he's a powerful organizer because at some point he rises to power enough that he gets the entire world under his thumb with the exception of a few nations that are detailed in Daniel, but he also creates a system in which you have to pledge allegiance to him to buy, sell, or trade. And we're frankly, we're seeing that system stage setting going on right now. It's not the beast system yet because he, he can't rise until we're gone, but he's gonna take advantage of a lot of what's going on in the world right now. He's a military leader in Daniel 8 and Revelation 6. He's a financier. We talked about that because you can't buy or sell unless you pledge allegiance to him. He's a political leader. He's a, a great speaker. All through the Bible, when you see him, the Holy Spirit goes on and on about how he's a he's his words are more stout than his fellows, for example, the Holy Spirit says. He blasphemies the Holy Spirit constantly. Okay, he is very, very convincing. When he gets in public he's highly intelligent and he has a lot of dark occultic practices we talked about that in daniel 8 verse 23 where he utters dark sentences and so the occulted the occultism in his policy will be immense and it will deceive the world think back to exodus with pharaoh remember when moses and aaron were in front of pharaoh and everything they could do some of it pharaohs, magicians, and astrologers could emulate, but some of it they could not. And think about it like that. They're going to do a lot of signs and miracles in this final world time that the dark side can (coughs) do. They they will come with all lying signs and wonders, and we saw that in Exodus. Okay, the two players we talked about in Revelation 13, and I stood upon the sand of the sea And I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Those are the ten horns from Daniel that we talked about on the bottom of the statue from Daniel chapter 2. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear. And his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power. The dragon we know from later this chapter is none other than Satan himself. The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Well, who gave the dragon that authority? We know that from the rest of the Bible. It's, it's Jesus. It's the Lord's allowing that authority to be given to him. Okay, Revelation 13, 11 I I hold another beast coming up out of the earth. So the two players here, the false prophet and the antichrist, the sea likely means he's a, one of them is a Gentile. Out of the earth likely means one of them is a Jew. So it's kind of a duet here. And it was Satan. It's really an unholy trinity. Just think about it as an unholy trinity of him trying to counterfeit what the Lord has done. Who allows this authority? Remember in Revelation 3.10, back to the seven letters to the seven churches. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. See, God is allowing this time to come upon the earth to try everyone that's rejected him to finally make that decision. Make a choice. Are you for me or against me? Because I'm about to set up my kingdom and I really want you to be a part of it. And so you've got to read the book of Revelation. It's all about redemption. Okay, here's that physical description of him from Zechariah 11. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. See, even there, there's a hint That he's a part of the Jewish people And he leaves the flock But idol is I-D-O-L As in an an idol That someone worships Not I-D-L-E like you're bored. Idol, he's an idol shepherd The sword shall be upon his arm And upon his right eye His arm shall be Clean dried up And his right eye shall be utterly darkened So these are the physical locations Interestingly enough Where the world will take the mark I mean, everybody's heard legends about this, right? In Revelation 13, the mark is in your right hand or in your right, in your forehead, and it's just interesting. This is the same place where this guy is wounded dramatically, but again, everything the enemy does is a counterfeit because you go all the way back to Exodus, to the Passover, and God delivering his people out of Egypt, where were they marked? In Exodus 13, 9, and it shall be a sign unto thee upon my hand. And for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth, for with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. And so you see all the way back there, God setting the the precedent that his people are marked in their hand and forehead. And you see a a type of that in Ezekiel, the man clothed in linen before the judgment on Jerusalem. He goes forth with an inkhorn and he marks all of God's people. It's the same. It's just Satan, Satan's not that creative. He has to try to copy and just counterfeit the truth. And that's exactly what he's doing here. So these wounds, this this right eye and his arm that get clean, dried up, they become a key element in convincing the world to worship him. So in Revelation 13, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. Meaning, read that as, there's likely a false resurrection. Okay, because, again, Satan has to counterfeit all of this. So if he's a false messiah, there has to be a false resurrection. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, that's Satan, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? And who is able to make war with him? Well, they're going to find out who can make war with him. And it's nobody on earth. It's Jesus in Revelation 19 when he shows up and he destroys him without a single use of his hand. Come on. All he does is just use his word. He uses actually this. He uses the word of God and wipes him out. It's sharper than a two-edged sword dividing amongst the sunder, the soul and the spirit. Ooh. And who's able to make war with him? Well, our king is. And praise God that he is. Praise God that. Jesus is rightfully going to make more with him and take back what he paid for. And there was given unto him a mouth. See, here's that characteristic again. A mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. So just be sensitive to this. All through the Bible, his mouth is just running constantly. And he's just blaspheming God. And power was given unto him to continue 42 months or three and a half years. Just read that as three and a half years, 42 months. 1,260 days in the Bible. Those are the three different markers the Holy Spirit gives you for the back half of that seven-year period. Okay, Revelation 13, 12-14. And he exercised with all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, again, whose deadly wound was healed. And so it's that marker again from Zechariah 11. It's that marker that it was healed. And he doth. Great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven. See, the world's not ready to see that. The world is not ready to see an occultic practicing dictator rise up and try to try to deceive the world with all of these miracles, okay? And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound, there is again, which had the wound by a sword, and did live. And so during this time, the false prophet is going to make an image to the beast that somehow is all over the world, and he's going to breathe life into it somehow and have it speak, and the world has to bow down to it. It's very much like in Daniel. Remember in, uh, later in Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar creates the statue of himself, the gold statue, and he had to bow down and worship that? And if you didn't, then you were killed. It's the type, the setup of that is all the way back in in Daniel. So Zechariah 14, verse three: Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when He fought in the day of battle. See, during this time, the Lord is going to rise up and fight against this one world empire. And when did He fight in the day of battle? I, this is something, this is probably one of my top three questions when I get to heaven. I'm going to ask the Lord, "Is when did you go forward and fight in that day of battle? Because I think what he's referencing here is between Genesis verses 1 one and 1-2 is what I think this is a reference to. And we can get into that at some point in church here. But uh, wherefore it is said, in the book of the wars of the Lord, what he did in the Red Sea and in the brooks of Arnon, See, there's a book out there that we don't have access to anymore that's chronicling all of these wars that Jesus stood up to go fight. And in the age in which we live, the age of grace, the church age, where a lot of us grew up in church, and we talk so much about Jesus, the suffering servant, right? He came to wash our feet. He came to die for us. He came to do all these things for us. and Indeed, he did. That you lose a lot of the context That there's a second side of that coin and that is that jesus is a ruling conquering king that's right and he goes forward to fight for us and just like in joshua 5 when he has his sword drawn and he's the one that initiates the battle at jericho he fights he doesn't sit back as a kind of an armchair quarterback and say okay guys you all go out there and and go left and okay i want you to go on the right side and do this no he is leading the charge all through the Bible. In fact, the time in which we live, this little little interlude called the church, it's the most unique time in all of human history, where the Lord is sitting back trying to gather his church before he goes forward to fight in the day of battle. So before he goes to fight, again, he brings his ambassadors home. That's what any good king would do. Right before a king goes to attack another nation or another world or whatever, he brings his ambassador home because he doesn't want them to be collateral damage. And that's exactly what the Lord's doing. And if you have questions about that in the rapture, go back and watch our video from chapter four, verse one. Here in Revelation, we we did a deep dive on the rapture. But you want to make sure you're an ambassador of the king. That's the key. So what now? You know, we're getting into this, and there's a lot of heavy stuff we're going to study between Revelation 6 and 19 with the glorious return of our King. But what now? You know, in Titus 3, the is our blessed hope. In 2 Thessalonians 4, we are to comfort one another with those words. So we're going to dive in, and the Lord put this here for us to study for a reason. The reason is so that we can be watchmen on the wall and warn people. Okay, we need to get people into the kingdom of God right now before it's too late. That is that is the goal. As long as Jesus is tearing and we're here, we have got to be about the Lord's business. So we need to be looking for Jesus Christ to meet him in the air not Antichrist to rise and rule the world. We're not going to see him. We're going to see Jesus descend from heaven with a shout and bring us home before this guy that we just looked at rises up. And that's all from 2 Thessalonians 2. And again, I encourage you, if you're not familiar with that, go back and look at Revelation 4, verse 1, our study on the rapture. Okay, Luke 19, Jesus said, And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. So don't stick your head in the sand, don't be fearful. Don't don't be scared and try to try to get yourself in a position to survive this time period. Right, occupy, meaning be about the Lord's business. And when you see the rapture in Luke, there's people in sleeping in beds, there's people in the in the field harvesting, and there's people at the mill grinding. Okay, it's not only a testament to the round earth because it's morning, noon, and night, but it's also because what are they doing? They're being busy. They're going about their daily lives. They're grinding to the mill. They're preparing the harvest. They're sleeping and resting. Okay, they're not they're not hunkering down waiting. Okay, Lord, I'm just gonna sit here with my feet kicked up and wait, because you've got this, right? No, he wants us to be out there building his kingdom. In fact, Second Thessalonians is a letter that's written to the Thessalonians who thought they missed the rapture. And that's what that whole letter is about. God is is straightening them out on, no, no, all of this stuff has to happen before the rapture. And that's what the whole letter is about. Okay, so it's time for New City to build. You know, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to remind everybody, you know, the commandment to go forth and build the wall was the trigger point in Nehemiah for Jesus to show up after the 69 weeks of years. Well, the trigger for Jesus to show up (laughs) is to get the fullness of the Gentiles to come in from Romans eleven twenty five, 25. And so we have the same command to usher Jesus back, and that is to build, and that's to build his church, and that's to build people as disciples, to build a kingdom of kings and priests. So here, are our God, oh our God, in verses uh, Nehemiah 4, 4 through 6, what I want you to notice is that they're trying to build, but yet they're despised. Okay, they're, they're doing God's business and his command, but yet there's a lot of people out there scoffing at them and despising what they're doing. And that's the same thing for a church, right? Especially a new church that's starting up that's barely four months old. There's a lot of people out there that may look at what we're doing and say, man, you guys are crazy. What are you doing? This is so weird. But look at the end. Okay, the walls joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work okay if you if you have been called to this church and you're being knit together by the Holy Spirit you have a mind to work and to build the kingdom and I'll be honest guys the world is despising the church right now globally, and we don't get to see it so much here in Oklahoma City but just across the northern border in Canada they're not only shutting down churches but they're fencing them in where the congregants can't even go back into the building. I mean, that's where we are. And you have to pay attention to that. There are people around the world trying to meet in secret because it is not popular right now. And the Lord is going to give the world exactly what it wants, which is a world without his church. That's what the world wants. And he's going to be a gentleman, just like he's been through all history, and give them exactly what their free will is, but the goal between now and then is to build the church to an unashamed bride so that there is an unashamed bride watching, looking up, look up for your redemption draws nigh, that is watching and serving Christ in that way, so Nehemiah 4 a little bit later, for the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side, you know, this is our sword, the word of God, this is our sword from Ephesians 6. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. So you want to be near the one that's going to sound the trumpet from Second Thessalonians four. That's Jesus with the voice of a trumpet. Okay, and in verse twenty to close out that chapter. In what place therefore ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. Just like we read in Zechariah, He shall rise up to fight. Just like in the day of battle. So you want to resort to the one that's going to blow the trumpet because he's going to go forward and fight for us. So if you do not know Jesus, if you're watching this online, if you're here in this room today, if your kids don't know the Lord, we can make that happen today. You don't have to wait any longer. You can have a throne room passport. It's simple. Romans ten nine that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, You shall be saved. You don't have to add anything to it, just like the thief on the cross. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to do a bunch of good works. You don't have to make sure you tithe your whole life. You don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is this. That's how you get in the game. Then you begin a relationship with the one that knew you before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians 3. That's when you begin the relationship, and you start to get into his word. And you start to know him through his word. And you begin to get refined. Whatever you're carrying in your life, it's after this that you have the, the power and the authority of Jesus to lift it and put on the burden that Jesus created for you to rightfully carry. You know, a lot of us as Christians that have done this step, the mistake we made is we think that, okay, now that's it. I've got that. check that box. I'm good. gonna you know, go about my life. And that's not what the Lord would have. The Lord would then have you get to know him because he wants a relationship with you. And a lot of us carry around things from our lives before Jesus that you are not equipped or tailored to carry. You are meant to lay that at his feet and let him carry the burden that you were never created to carry in the first place. That's right. And once you do that, you realize the liberty and the freedom you have in the Lord. Okay, he wants to welcome you to your forever place. So take your place in the army of Christ on your white horse. When we come with him in Revelation 19, you have a white horse. There's a gift waiting for you that is a white horse from the Father if you are in the bride. Because when you come with him in 19, before the marriage supper of the Lamb, you get on that white horse, and he's going to bend back those dimensions, and we're going to ride down with them. It's going to be the coolest moment you will ever have in your life. So I encourage you, if you're watching this, and you're not in Jesus, get there quickly. In Isaiah 1, verse 18, come now let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And in Amos, we learn that how can two walk together lest they be in agreement? Okay, so once you do this, to walk with the Lord, you have to be in agreement with Him. You have to reason together with Him. And you reason with Him by being in the Word of God. That's how you do it. So if you have questions on that, if you need salvation, prayer, anything, please reach out to us. We'll pick up the second seal after the white horse next week. Uh, thank you, guys. We'll close us in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for what you're doing here in New City Church. God, I thank you for everybody that joined us online. God, I pray a special blessing upon them, wherever they are around the world watching this message, that, God, they would understand that to avoid this onslaught on earth, they've got to get into you and in your presence right now. And so, Lord, if there is anybody within the sound of my voice that does not know you, Lord, I pray that you would move mountains in their lives and let them accept you, they accept that free gift and willingly give their heart to you today not to tarry any longer lord be with us throughout the week ahead and lord i just do pray a special blessing upon this children's ministry here at new cities it continues to grow and thrive that you bring the right person into the church to take that role or prepare their heart and knit it together to exactly what you would have fit for this church lord in jesus name amen